I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading Psalms 33, 77, and 78. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. The first psalm that we're going to read today is by Asaph. As a matter of fact, all three of the psalms to today's reading are from Asaph. So let me say a little word about Asaph. According to the Easton's Bible Dictionary, he was a Levite, one of the leaders of David's choir, according to 1 Chronicles 6.39. Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 to 83 are attributed to him. He's mentioned along with David as skilled in music and as a seer in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 30. The sons of Asaph mentioned in 1 Chronicles 25, 1 and 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14, and also Ezra chapter 2, verse 41, were his descendants, or more probably, they were a class of poets or singers who recognized him as their master. So the subtitle to Psalm 73 says, A Psalm of Asaph, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. 
but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Asaph is the author of this psalm according to the subtitle. He was David's music man, choir director, and part-time prophet. Obviously a well-rounded guy. In this passage, Asaph begins by commenting about the envy he felt toward the prosperity of those who do not serve God. Notice verse 3, he says, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, he's saying, Life ain't fair. We see a transition in his thinking in verses 16 and 17 when he says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. It's almost as though we can see the wheels turning in Asaph's head on this issue as we read further. His conclusion is clear in verse 27 when he says, For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Well, there it is. Wickedness coupled with prosperity now, but destruction for eternity. Ultimately, life really is fair after all. Psalm 77 deals with the issue of seeking God. The subtitle to this one says, To the chief musician, to Jedithon, a psalm of Asaph, verse 1. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song of the night. I meditate within my heart. And my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw you, O Lord. The waters saw you, they were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. In this psalm, Asaph talks about calling upon the Lord and reminds him of what he's done for his people in the past. In the first nine verses, Asaph contemplates the rejection he feels he's experiencing at the moment. In verse 10, he determines to reflect on the demonstrations of God in his past. This is a good example for believers today. When times are tough, just reflect back on how God has provided for you in the past. 
A positive outlook in one's walk with God is also emphasized in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Love this verse. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Incidentally, the subtitle to this psalm says to the chief musician to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. Here's what Easton Dictionary says about that. The words upon Jedithan probably denote a musical instrument, or they may denote the style or tune invented or introduced by Jedithan, or that the psalm was to be sung by his choir. That brings us to Psalm 78, where in this psalm we see that Asaph doesn't cut Israel any slack whatsoever. In this psalm, Asaph takes his readers on a journey through time, from the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt all the way down to King David. We begin with the introduction, the introduction to the psalm, a contemplation of Asaph. Verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Beginning in verse 7, he encourages Israel not to be like their ancestors. Verse 7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Then we have God's miraculous leadership out of Egypt, beginning in verse 12. Marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zon. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. Then we see in verses 15 through 17 that God provided water from the rock. Verse 15. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. Then we have the manna episode beginning in verse 18. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious, so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. 
yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. Then the quail began in verse 26. He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas. And he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. So they ate and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. Then we see that God judged Israel in the wilderness, beginning in verse 30. They were not deprived of their craving, but while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wondrous works. Therefore, their days he consumed in futility and their years in fear. When he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God their Redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. But we see beginning in verse 42 that Israel did not recall God's deliverance from the Egyptians. Verse 42. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zom, turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. He sent swarms of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He also gave up their cattle to the hail and their flocks to fiery lightning. He cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to the plague and destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, the firstborn of their strength in the tents of Ham. Beginning in verse 52, we see that once delivered from Egypt into Canaan, Israel then provoked God, verse 52. But he made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to his lofty border, this mountain which his right hand had acquired. He also drove out the nations before them, allotted them an inheritance by survey, and made the tribes of Israel dwell in their tents. Yet they tested and provoked the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places, and moved him to jealousy with their carved images." Beginning now with verse 59, we see that once in Canaan, God judged Israel's sin. When God heard this, he was furious and greatly abhorred Israel. 
so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had placed among them, and delivered his strength into captivity, and his glory into the enemy's hand. He also gave his people over to the sword, and was furious with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given in marriage. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then, beginning in verse 65, we see that God delivered Israel from their enemies by King David. Verse 65, Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a mighty man who shouts because of wine. And he beat back his enemies, he put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he rejected the tent of Joseph, and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his tabernacle like the heights, like the earth which he has established forever. He also chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he brought him, to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now here's a different kind of a psalm. It's a mascal, according to the King James Version in the subtitle. That means, according to Easton's dictionary, that it's a song enforcing some lesson of wisdom or piety. The New King James Version substitutes the word for mascal as contemplation. Asaph is credited with this one as well, and it seems to be his purpose to warn future generations of the consequences of turning their backs on God. He does so by giving a history lesson summarizing several of Israel's past rebellions. Asaph integrates into this history lesson the process of Israel's continual falls. First of all, a disregard for God, followed by a chastening by God, followed by repentance toward God. This seems to be a continuous cycle in Israel's history. Asaph uses this psalm to teach a lesson on obedience to God for future generations. Incidentally, Zon, seen in verses 12 and 43, was probably the city where Moses and Aaron negotiated with Pharaoh. We're told in Numbers chapter 13, verse 22, the following. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Abraham resided for a time in Hebron, so you can see that Zon was an old city. It was the capital of Egypt at the time of Jacob, and his family moved to Egypt. The field of Zon seems to be functionally equivalent to Goshen. That's where Jacob's people settled in Egypt. Ephraim seems to epitomize Israel's wrongdoings in this psalm. Historically speaking, Asaph may be referencing the Philistine incursion and victory at Ebenezer, which resulted in the loss of the ark and the destruction of Shiloh, recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The passage beginning with 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1-11 through 11, gives us a little insight into the struggle between Judah, that was the tribe that was supportive of David, and Ephraim, that was the tribe that was supportive of Saul's line. As a matter of fact, it would be Ephraim who would later have a key role in the rebellion of the northern ten tribes, which would result in the split under an Ephraimite king, King Jeroboam. And that's seen in 2 Kings chapter 12. It's important to know that the northern tribes never, ever served God after that point in time. Asaph drives the point home in verses 67 and 68 regarding the struggle between Ephraim and Judah. The rest of the psalm praises the leadership of David as God's chosen man. And incidentally, Matthew refers to this psalm in citing a quotation by Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. 
This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 